Expects the Dismal Science! Welcome to another exciting episode of Nobody Expects the Dismal Science. I'm George. And I'm barely aware of what's even happening anymore, but also happen to be named Wyatt. Inflation! It's gone! Yeah, that's one thing that's not happening anymore, right? Inflation. We had uh, the most recent CPI report. We actually had a negative rounding error that is effectively zero worth of inflation this past month. Yay, so, we did it. Inflation's gone. No more inflation ever again. Very happy Joe Brandon finally hit the stop inflation button and the lower gas prices button because it seems to be working. But not, not wait, wait, wait. I, I heard that all of the corporations decided they weren't going to be greedy anymore. Yeah, apparently. I, th- I think Elizabeth Warren did really well with that. Uh, I'm glad she was able to pass all of her policies to uh, put in price controls to stop the inflation. Um, but yeah, like I've, I've seen some people get a little confused by it too, where they're like, oh, 0% inflation, but really the, the annual inflation is still much higher. And it's like, so that's kind of true, kind of not true at the same time, like year over year. Yeah, we're, we're doing monthly versus uh, the full year inflation. You can see You can see this mistake happen several times when people interpret CPI figures and stuff. But basically, it is indeed the case that since last month, um, prices have effectively stayed the same. So they have not gone up. Yeah, but I mean, that's also, that's all prices, and that's a, a big basket. What really happened is gas prices dropped through the floor, and other prices did increase somewhat. Was corn inflation up? I don't even remember. Yes, corn inflation is up, but... Uh, okay. uh, but just total energy infla- Yeah, and energy, yeah, we, we dropped like a dollar in a month, which is amazing. Yeah, and like the flip side of what we were saying, like before, is that, you know, core inflation, it's been, well, it's been kind of disappointing, but like we've seen in the past few months that it, core inflation hasn't been like the driver of like the, like we, we'd still have high core inflation, relatively speaking, but it hasn't been like what's making things eight, 9% inflation. It's part of why we have core inflation. A lot of people are like, oh, well, if you take, you know, fuel and, uh, you know, food out of it, then yeah, of course it's, but I mean, it really is very, very volatile. So that's why we either annualize it or look at core inflation or some combination of the two. Um, and yeah, so in the last year, inflation's gone up by 8.5%. Um, considering it was 9.6 last month, you know, that's, that's a good drop that, and that, you know, reflects the fact that we had zero this month. And so, you know, that's going to be baked in for a while. Um, could see, you know, things start, start you know falling off pretty quickly if we can keep around that um hopefully that's not concerning it wasn't deflation which is is good um although we could use some deflation right now maybe we could you know considering how fast they 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 jumped uh a little deflation probably wouldn't be the end of the world what i'm expecting is eventually like this people have been saying this is coming for a long time is especially like in a lot of the durable good markets and stuff where we've had like supply chain issues for a long time you think that once those get resolved that would just from the increase in supply that would result in price decreases and deflationary pressures on on its own i mean we've seen it on uh, computer parts yeah speaking of which if you can't tell folks this week i finally got my computer back from the taiwanese in california and Yay. hopefully it sounds better <laughs> it does definitely does okay but yeah, if you add all of the the inflations over the whole year, you get the year rate, um, and that's how they do it. They don't actually just annualize the month because that would just inflate the um, volatility even more. 
Um, so they just take the actual uh, sum of month totals over the past year. Um, that's also why it takes, you know, it doesn't move very fast one way or another. Part of why it didn't look like inflation was coming as fast before is because inflation had been for 2% forever. So uh, even as it was rising, the monthly was rising quickly, it still had the the lows baked in. So it, it the, the numbers looked more favorable than they really were. And that may be the same way going down is the numbers may look worse than they really are on the way down because there's so much on the back end. And it was also why I honestly was so surprised we got up to like almost 10% inflation the past couple of months because it had been more than a year since we've saw the inflation uptick. And I figured just because like the prior level was so high, it, the chances would be low that we could actually get something like a 9% plus figure. But, you know, I uh, wasn't, predict wasn't predicting uh, a supply shock to the oil. So whatever. Can only can only do so Wait, much. You, you didn't predict the invasion of Ukraine, darn. Yeah, right. I, I didn't. I didn't think that Joe Brandon would be stupid enough to hit the gas prices go up button so much either. So speaking of gas prices going up, um, the Dems passed a climate bill. Uh, you've gotten more information. What do you think? Oh, I don't have much difference in opinion from when we like discussed this last. Um, there's a lot of discussion as to whether or not it'll be inflationary. Um, I think, well, it it depends basically entirely on how quickly the taxes, you know, come into play, which I think is close to immediate and how long it takes for them to build the projects. It seems more likely that the taxes are going to come first and the projects are going to come later, which means it'll be, you know, deflationary in the short run and somewhat of a wash in the long run. Yeah, like, it's totally possible you see something like medium to long run deflationary pressures. Um, that's kind of, it's kind of what happens from investment in general. Um, but you do have to, if, you know, if you're investing things, that means in the beginning, you are at least spending money to do things and that can cause inflation, at least in the immediate term. But it is, it is interesting that the whole, you know, it's being packaged as, the Inflation uh, Reduction Act, but it's mostly really can be thought of as like a climate change bill. Although I guess it is coming after like healthcare and it actually is um, reducing the deficit a bit. Yeah. And it's taxes and climate mostly. Yeah. Like we, we honestly, I think discussed it basically as much as possible as to, in more depth when it was fresher in my mind a few weeks ago. Well, financial managers, their lobby was able to get uh, uh, their tax increases out of there. So I good for them, I guess. Yeah. So that's, that's probably a little bit more inflation. I did, I did see like coverage um, in reason magazine that I, I kind of want to criticize where they said that this bill, the inflation reduction act won't reduce inflation. And uh, God, I wish I, I recall. I mean, it, it reduces the deficit by, you know, 350 over 10 years. I mean, well, here's the thing. They're, yeah. they're, they're kind of basically arguing that the tax increases won't reduce inflation on net and they brought i don't remember whose model up it, it was but they they talked about how there's basically a null effect on inflation so you can't think of it as having a, a significant well the, i think i think my biggest problem was it was acting like it, it couldn't affect inflation at all and it kind of gave me the impression that raising taxes don't really do anything to fight inflation but i think you can kind of pretty clearly see that that isn't true at least directionally 
um, because one of the reasons we're in this mess is because of what we did with taxes, although we didn't necessarily call it this way. We call this a, a stimulus, but what that is is effectively a Milton Friedman-esque uh, negative income tax cut for every American um, where we just give them money. That is effectively the same thing, you know, just giving people money versus taking it away in, in more targeted fashions. Like if you give people more money, you're going to cause more inflation. If you take it away, you are going to cause uh, less inflation. Like, I don't think that should be particularly controversial. Now, whether you're talking about like, this is going to reduce inflation by maybe only like uh, somewhere between uh, like 0.01 and uh, 1% or something. Yeah, that's not very much. And honestly, I, even though we're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act, I'm not expecting it to reduce inflation that much, but like- It may get credit for it though. It may get credit for it, but I like. I think directionally, it is pretty clearly true that this would reduce inflation, and probably, probably a non-trivial amount, but but also um, not a very significant one. Like not not nearly as much as just the decrease we've seen on its own in the past month, right? Yeah, people have tend to have issues with negative numbers because we call you know um, taxes and and spending you know, different things. But I mean, you can certainly think of, um, you know, a tax is just a, a negative subsidy, you know, and, and you should, it makes the math work out so much better um, and easier. And certainly you'd think, uh, you know, Nick Gillespie, if you said, hey, uh, we're going to give people a bunch of money, will that cause inflation? He would say, yes, okay, well, we're going to do the opposite of that. Would that cause deflation? And then that's where, you know, you, you have the little bit of a disconnect. Yeah, like when we when you lay it out that way, it seems like it should be like a really obvious thought process. It's just because like libertarians get spooked in, with uh, the idea of raising taxes. But, you know, it is true that this isn't raising a ton of taxes uh, for better or worse. And so because of that, it that's like the primary deflationary mechanism in the bill. Um, so, yeah, I guess I guess it's fair to say that it won't do a significant amount to reduce inflation. It might not even be particularly observable, but I think I do think at the end of the day it's going to be non-trivial. So Peter Meyer, um, uh, the, yeah, you want to start? Who is Peter Meyer? Uh, Congress, well, uh, soon to be former congressman of the third district. Uh, I think we may have described him as the best Republican member of the House of Representatives, if not better. I don't maybe know, one of the best representative. I mean, close. I mean. Liz is Liz is doing her part, but yeah, high up there. I, for some reason, the third district has a great history up to now. Yeah, and Peter Meyer, bless him. Like honestly, uh, great guy, uh, moderate Republican, voted to uh, indict Trump and was in well, favor. impeach, impeach, not indict, um, impeach Trump, and also um, has been pushing for the January sixth hearings. Unlike most of his Republican colleagues. Um, he also has done very noble things, like went and flew to Afghanistan, um, where he previously served before he was a congressman. Um, you know what I didn't know? He was a sergeant in the Army. Now, mind you, this is odd to me. I was a sergeant in the Army. Peter Meyer is worth like a billion dollars. He is absolutely, you know, uh, Meyer heir, super rich as fuck. And he joined... The army enlisted. He enlisted. He didn't. He obviously could have become an officer easily. I mean, like, there's no, there's no reason for him not to. Other than, I guess, he wanted the real enlisted experience. He wanted to mop floors and he wanted to get in the trenches. And 
I don't know. I don't know if I respect that or if I'm confused. I'm definitely confused by it. But, you know, he put in his time and, like, you be, becoming a sergeant just isn't a given, right? Like, you actually No, no, no. To... You got to earn that shit. That's what, what's weird is, like, getting to captain is basically automatic. Getting to sergeant, you got to go to the board. You got to be on your shit. Yeah, I, I, I imagine. Um, but anyway, uh, this great Republican congressman, um, he was being primaried by an absolute lunatic whose name escapes me at the moment, um, who's one of these, you know, guys that think... Uh, Hugh is the right word. Huh? Hugh? Hugh? Yeah, he's in the QAnon. Oh, Q. Yeah. Yes, he's like very conspiratorial, uh, doesn't think the prior election... Um, where Trump lost was legitimate and that there's also somehow sorts of... his election was fine. It's weird how that works. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, this, uh, QAnon guy was able to recently defeat Congressman Meyer by just a couple percentage points in the Republican primary. And, uh, he was able to do so with a little bit of help. And when we say a little bit, I, I do want to scale this. So the Democrats spent more in one week on his attack, his very big quotes, attack ad, which called him a true, too conservative and too devoted for Trump to Trump, um, and basically said nothing bad about him whatsoever, spent more in a week than he had raised his entire campaign. His entire campaign, he had not run a single television ad, the whole campaign to the finish. And the Democrats flooded the airwaves telling everyone how devoted to Trump and how such a conservative this guy was. That's what happened. John Gibbs is his name. That's correct. Yeah, the, the, the Democrat logic here um, is pretty much similar to what they used with the Trump election, uh, which was we want this guy it's to quite be similar. The, the candidate we run against because, you know, Meyer, he has more bipartisan support. He's going to win more swing voters. Or this guy is a complete fucking lunatic. Meyer would have been very hard to beat in that district. Very, very hard to beat in the, the Dems. And you know what? This this probably does increase the Democrats' chance of winning a little bit. I'm looking at 538 projections right now. They give the Dems a 59 and 100% chance of winning. Um, but also, uh, they just significantly increase the chances that a complete lunatic who has no... He has, like, he should not be anywhere near um, Congress. Is honestly, I think five thirty eight is underrating the Republican chances, and he's probably should be the favorite. The I mean, this is this is uh, in under any normal circumstances, this would be a Republican wave year. Now they may end up screwing that up, but they they are absolutely playing with fire. Yes, and the decrease from a congressman of Myers' quality. Like removing somebody out of the house um, that you, I mean, you, you disagree with him because he's a Republican and you're, you're Democrats or whatever. But like, he is still, I think, a person of such like outstanding character. You, I think it's kind of gross to, to do anything to, to remove somebody like that. And it's completely hypocritical. Like the Democrats have been complaining about the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, uh, Lauren Boebert's, all of them. Uh, and saying they're they're literally uh, a threat to society. You know, they're a threat to uh, democracy. You know, they're a threat to the nation. And they've been, meanwhile, praising people like Liz Cheney and Peter Meyer, saying, you know, they these are the exemplary people who are willing to stand up for democracy in a time of crisis. We really need more of these people. Also, we're going to do everything we can to dump on them. 
Yeah. And like, if you look, if you just look at the amount of money that they, they pumped in to this guy's campaign, I think it was only like a few hundred thousand dollars or something. It's 350,000 and a few hundred thousand in a congressional race is significant. Especially when the guy didn't have too much monetary backing. Anyway. No, the Democrats spent more than he did. Yeah. And that's, that's the big problem. Like I, it, given the margins of the primary, it is very quite possible that the Democrats spending tipped the race into this guy's favor. And, you know, that may be the difference maker in what eventually gets him elected to Congress because, uh, you know, I guess, I guess eventually you have to blame the voters and, you know, they're, they're accountable. The Republican voters are accountable too in their, in their own way. But, you know, uh, it didn't, you don't have to put your hand on the scale. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, this is just one action that makes the country significantly worse. And I am quite ashamed to that that, that anybody um, decided that Congressman Meyer was not worthy of representing, you know, our state. No, it's it's incredibly disappointing. Um I mean, they they could have run an attack ad where it said, you know, all the conspiracy theories that John Gibbs supports um, and that he still thinks the election is rigged and that, that um, you know, Biden should go to jail. You know, they could have run that ad. They chose not to. They're, they chose to do the opposite. Yeah, they're they're And oh, man, it, it's when it's you play so with cynical. Fire, sometimes you get burnt. Right? It's so cynical. It makes me so upset. It really does. Like, honestly, I wish it was supposed to be the sane people versus the, you know, the the crazies. And instead, the sane people are helping the crazies to oust the other sane people. And that makes I'm sorry to say that makes you one of the insane people that really does. You 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 are going outside of the realm of, you know, reasonable discourse. Speaking of uh, crazy people, I want to talk about teachers in Oakland, California in this uh time feature that I, I was reading about. Let's hear it. So this this is from the story inside the massive effort to change the way kids are taught to read. And this has actually been something that I've been kind of following for a while on its own, just like as a little interesting beat, because there's there's basically a form of student instruction. Uh, I believe it's called like phonics learning, where it has been implemented in an increasing number of states. It actually kind of grew out of Republican, more conservative circles. Um, and in places like Mississippi, except for the early returns of this form of instruction have been really fucking good. They've done, they've done more to like improve uh, student instruction in the places where it was implemented than just about any other intervention, um, especially reading intervention in like the past 30, 40 years across the U.S. Um, and so because of that, you see more and more places like over time that have been trying to implement this um, type of instruction and it's honestly not very hard to do because it's it's fairly simple it's almost a little of a monotonous process to to teach and stuff this way but because of that because it's something that's so easy to mass implement you could kind of instruct anyone to basically inform students on this kind of instruction even though it's had great trust like uh, records uh you know it's empirically validated it's done really well um you see stuff like this so I'm just, I'm just going to read the beginning of this feature here. Um, as a teacher in Oakland, California, Kareem Weaver helped struggling fourth and fifth grade kids learn to read by using a very structured phonics-based reading curriculum called Open Court. It worked for the students, but not so much for the teachers. For seven years in a row, 
Holkin was the fastest gaining urban district in California for reading, recalls Weaver, and we hated it. The teachers felt like curriculum robots and pushed back. This seems dehumanizing. This is colonizing. This is the white, this is the man telling us what to do, says Weaver. Oh my God. Their response this to the approach. This is insane. This is so killing we, me. We fought tooth and nail as a teacher group to throw that out. It was replaced in 2015 by a curriculum that emphasized rich literary experiences. Those who wanted to fight for social justice, they figured that this new progressive way of teaching reading was the way. Oh my God. I'm so now, literally, I, I, I'm as a parent of three, I, I can't even handle what you just said. I can't. I can't even cope with that. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. Now, thankfully, like this guy Weaver, who was talking, he changed his mind once he saw what the results of, of this was, and he's he's been putting it back to uh, reinstate like the, the phonics methods that was so successful and that had led so many gains. Um, and um, yeah, like it's this this is just something that I think needs to be placed extremely carefully because we've seen this during COVID too where it's like the far left progressive wings will do anything they can to code things in, in languages of like oppression and, and social justice and pay absolutely not one goddamn care um, to whether or not this is true. If you just make something sound like it's promoting social justice, uh, that's good enough as, uh, even if like the outcomes are the exact opposite. Because even though we, we saw this bridge and, and, and the black-white reading gap, and you see huge increases in scores for students of all races here from the phonics program. Um, even though you see that, it's problematic. It's, it's colonization because uh, these the teachers are basically upset. <laughs> and the teachers are upset because they, they don't approve of the methods, even though the methods get results. You know, what helps social justice? Teaching kids to read. Like, uh, there's not even that many things that, you know, can do more to help somebody in the long run. And it's completely insane. Um, this isn't just in, in this case where, you know, success is seen as as a problem, you know, something that needs to be stopped. Um, and it's it's insane to me when people think or want to apply, you know, ambition, success, you know, motivation, hard work as, you know, a white virtue or a colonizing virtue. That is, that is, well, for one, really racist, but for two, completely insane. Like you want, if you want people to be successful, you're going to need some of those virtues. I'm sorry to say. Um, and, um, that's not colonizing. That's, you know, uh, adapting. I mean, not even adapting. That's, just how the freaking world works. Like, if you work hard, you know, there's no guarantee of success, but you've got much better odds. It's going to help. Yes. And it, it reminds me, too, of... Um, I, don't, I don't know if phonics is considered this, because I'm just, I'm just not an education expert, but I do know um, there's a lot of research behind something known as direct instruction, and we've seen... Um, a lot of randomized controlled trials showing that forms of direct instruction um, to teach in, in the developing world and stuff have actually huge, huge results um, on, uh, you know, education attainment. So like this, this paper here um, is fairly recent one I came across that among its co-authors is Michael Kramer, who was one of the recent Nobel Prize winners. But the paper is just, can education be standardized? Evidence from Kenya. 
And the important parts of this, well, yeah, I'll just read these two. So Kenyan pupils who won a lottery for two-year scholarships to attend schools, employing a highly structured and standardized approach to pedagogy and school management learned more than students who applied for it, but did not win scholarships. After being enrolled at these schools for two years, primary school pupils gained approximately the equivalent of 0.89 extra years of schooling. That is 0.81 standard deviations. That's insane. Yep. That is so just basically gaining an entire uh, mm -hmm. a whole year. Yep. Well, in pre-primary grades, pupils gained the equivalent of 1.48 additional years of schooling. Wow. So that that is, I mean, it's insane. Like you've seen so many, uh, like you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Perry Preschool Project and like James Heckman and stuff. Like there, there's so many interventions where that have had like left wing backing and stuff. And they have, I mean, it's almost impossible to get results like that. And you know, this is Kenya. So their placement level educational instruction for these kids is going to be a lot worse than it is in the, in the U S but you know, we, we've seen this thing where this form of instruction is highly effective. It's got, it's got, I mean, it's got a lot of backing for people who have cared about it. Like uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, because I don't, I don't think they're so obsessive with how you obtain these huge gains versus just like actually getting them in place. But, you know, you see the resentment from teachers um, because teaching things this way, even though it's effective, um, part of the reason why it's effective is because it can be so broadly implemented. It requires less formal education and it, it gives you kind of less wiggle work um, and less, less flexibility in how you're actually able to instruct these kids. And so, you know, it's natural, I, I, I guess, to see somebody who, who likes, oh, like, teaching is supposed to be, like, creative and then tailored to every student and all these things. I mean, like, I guess I guess that's true. But, you know, we have just, like, increasing amounts of research showing that at least a, a few important forms of uh, teaching kids, um, the extent that's true is wildly overblown. And, you know, teachers don't like it. I mean, this is a common issue with economics is often the solution is counterintuitive. Um, and, you know, if you have a way that you feel comfortable teaching things or doing things, even if it works well, it it can feel like it's wrong because it's not the way you want to do it. It's not the way you're used to doing it. It's not the way you think is actually the best. But, I mean, follow the data. This is something we talk about, you know, all the time with this, you know, with policy, with anything. Follow the data. In education, it's so important to actually follow the data and do what's actually, you know, best for the children. And this is like one of my biggest beefs with Democrats and the left, too, is this is where you see the importance of when they say, uh, you know, all this promotion of teachers and teachers unions, those sorts of protections and, and, and whatnot. That's not in the interest of students. It is in the interest of teachers and teachers groups. And they will tell you that everything they do is on the behalf of students. But something like this is very clearly a giant fuck you to students and, and, and their parents who want them to do well. And to society as a whole. You know, these children are literally our future. You know, this is, this is what's going to keep us competitive or not. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, but I care way, way, way more about... Educational, educational attainment, especially of like, um, you know, uh, impoverished, uh, you know, kids, minorities, and that's that sort of thing. I care way more about about that than like the feelings of teachers. So sorry. Well, yeah, and that's a thing you know that has to be considered. Like my kids are going to be all right. They just are. 
I, they could be the worst school ever and we're going to find a way for them to be educated. But people, you know, who are working all the time, you know, don't have the kind of resources. Um, and I'm, you know, don't have a ton of resources, but, you know, better off than a, a lot of people in this area. I have, you know, a very flexible job, you know, um, the people who need it the most, <laughs> the, this is who the, the social warriors, you know, claim to represent. You know, these are the people who really, you know, they can't avoid whatever the public school has to offer. That may be their only chance of, of a better life. So speaking of a better life, Trump got raided. That was fun. I honestly have barely paid attention. <laughs> oh, let me walk you through it. So Trump left with a bunch of boxes. Even after uh, everything was kind of cleared out, even on the last day, they were still loading up Marine One with a bunch of extra boxes and they had noticed. So uh, there was apparently a tip-off about Mar-a-Lago having some potentially classified documents. And uh, the FBI uh, met with Trump's lawyers and said, hey, you know, we've got to come get those documents. You know, can you give them to us? Whatever. And uh, in May, Trump sent, uh, I think, 15 or 16 sets of documents. And they were like, great, thank you for the, for the documents that include classified materials, but they had turned them back in, so no big deal. Um, now using probably two different methods, we don't, this is where things become a little hazy because we don't know, you know, a, the behind, but assuming one, they either knew that there was some stuff missing within those, like, you know, where it says, you know, we've got, you know, report 15, 16, 17, 20, 21, and, you know, there's a couple missing there and, or, uh, informants, um, from the inside who are, uh, cooperating, um, they know that there was still more classified documents that uh, Trump was still holding on to. So they asked for those. Trump's lawyers uh, replied that there are no more, uh, you know, classified or sensitive documents um, at the Trump's residence. Uh, they um, reported that in or they replied that in June. So uh, after gathering more information, the FBI decided that, yes, they are there and that they're going to have to get them. So they issued, a, they asked for a warrant. Uh, the warrant got issued. This apparently went all the way up to Merrick Garland to, for approval because they weren't just going to willy-nilly go in there. Um, they needed, you know, to make sure everything was straight. Because um, if they would have gone in there and come out without, you know, uh, documents, that would have been, you know, uh, just devastating to the department. They did retrieve 11 sets of classified documents, including documents at the very highest level um, SCI um, that exist. Uh, the Washington Post has said their investigation shows that this was supposed to be over um, nuclear weapons, potentially. Um, now, that hasn't been fully confirmed, but the Washington Post, usually they, they've got to be pretty confident before they're going to post something that outlandish. Um, uh, now, uh, the indictment does not include um, anything about classified. This is a thing that uh, keeps getting put out that Trump just declassified everything when he left. He just said, you know, I declassify. Um, they're actually not going after anything like that. They're actually going after things that are dangerous to national security. So its classification level is actually irrelevant um, for these specific offenses. So Trump's actually not out of the, the woods just because you know, nuclear weapons are dangerous in and of themselves, whether the, the um, documents are officially classified or not. Um, that makes that all makes sense. Yeah. So basically, Trump has the nuclear codes and has been lying about it. <laughs> yeah, kind of. 
And this is one of those things where uh, what I want to say is, do you think that um, Clinton should have gone to jail for what she did? And personally, I, I actually do. Um, I know if I, uh, Sergeant Quick in the Army, had rerouted all of my military emails to, uh, you know, a private server that I had set up, georgequick.com, um, I would I would be in jail right now. I wouldn't be talking to you. <laughs> like, that's just true. I, I was in charge of ComSec for, for my battalion, and they would have put me in jail. Like, that's just, that's not a thing that would happen. Um, now, when the FBI identified that the, um, the, the server existed, they asked for Clinton's cooperation and for her to turn over the server, which she did immediately. Trump didn't do that. Trump tried to hide it. He turned over some stuff, and they had to come in months later after begging him to give all the stuff. If he'd have just given all of this stuff back, this wouldn't be a thing, and they, there certainly wouldn't be any charges. They'd been like, well, he gave everything back. The problem is, uh, one of the charges is obstruction of justice. That's where they ask you for things, and you go, no, I don't have it. And then, you know, they're like, no, we really know you have it. And you're like, no, I don't have it. And then they come and get it, and then you had it. So, yeah, he's... This is this could be the one that gets him. I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, there there is absolutely a there there. Why does the deep state hate Republicans so much? No, it's amazing. Speaking of the deep state, um, you heard of uh, uh, Josh Hawley was the only uh, senator to vote against ratifying um, Finland and Sweden joining NATO. He also ran like a complete chicken shit coward for uh, from his his people. Yeah. They weren't there to hurt him. Maybe. <laughs> and it's interesting who is whose people in moments like that. Uh, he says that we should focus on China. I just just hypothetical. Maybe they could help us against China. I don't know. Who knows? I feel like Josh Hawley's one of those people whose personal politics are so confused. Like he when he says that, I think it would be pretty easy for the Chinese to convince them that Taiwan actually is a part of China. I, I wouldn't be, I, 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 I don't know the Chinese have to do anything. You could probably just ask him that right now. Yeah. Like he would probably vote against arming the Taiwanese or something. Just like. He, I, he probably has. has I, I haven't looked I, that, that. Okay. So that's just complete speculation, but I would not be at all surprised. Like, because you, you, he's, Yeah. Anyways, speaking of people who do really stupid things, Warren has been talking out against the uh, there's been a number of abortion bills proposed in the Senate and Warren uh, doesn't want them. And her her argument is basically if we give them any win, well, then we won't fight that hard anymore. So we have to get everything. Otherwise, we should get nothing. And it bugs the shit out of me. <laughs> like... Because, you know, there's some centrist Democrats and, and Republicans um, trying to craft a bill that might pass the Senate to, you know, at least have some federal protections for abortion. And Warren's over here campaigning saying, no, all or nothing. And uh, how, that, well, how well has that all or nothing? Yeah, I know. Exactly. Works? Like you already lost. Like and if you want to get anything back, now's the time. It's also like kind of the complete opposite of the point of congress where you're supposedly you know you're supposed to be cutting deals and negotiating that sort of thing um very rarely uh, even even at times when you have super majorities you're, you're still dealing out like pork barrel and crap to random people to get on board usually no she is literally holding a sign saying 
the make the perfect the enemy of the good and by literally i of course mean figuratively but you get what i mean like what are yeah. you doing here meanwhile when her bill that has this is the most aggressive left-wing pro-abortion bill possible um when that never sees a light of day and never passes um how does that well, it's the republicans fault of course yes yeah, republicans fault how, how does that impact the um actual women in you know, in swingish states such as potentially Michigan, where having some of those protections federally in place can actually make a difference. <laughs> you know, yeah, but she's the that. one fighting. You know, everyone else is trying to cut a deal. You know, they're they're compromising their values. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty pretty easy to not compromise your value when you're in freaking Massachusetts and when you're also a person of color as her Native American self is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, good times. Um, so that's most of what I have for this week. I think we got through a lot. Yeah. Is there anything you want to recommend? Yeah, I'm uh, uh, starting a campaign in uh, Star Trek Adventures. And um, yeah, it's it's looking like a really good system. I'm really happy with it. I've also been playing uh, Vampire Survivors. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know what that is. So Vampire Survivors is listed as casual, and they can take that shit right to hell. That is some fucking bullshit. I ain't never wazzed so fast in my fucking life. Okay, just because there's only four buttons does not mean that it's oh, fucking casual. I have I have played this. I actually I played this quite a bit while waiting in the airport and like on a plane so when I on my flight to Manila and back and stuff. It's a freaking fun game. Yeah. It is very addicting. I got it. I got it on sale for like ninety percent off. And it oh yeah, like and it's five bucks anyway. Yeah, it's like four dollars at full price. Like it's it is it's it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I can I can endorse that. That's that's like one of the most recent video games I've actually played. <laughs> um, All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Hey, you're skipping me. <laughs> double double endorsement of Vampire Survivors. No, um, I wanted to reiterate. So, like uh, a few weeks ago, I I really recommended Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal, uh, having not actually seen it. Well, now I am uh, four episodes in, and that is. Uh, Oh my god, it is so phenomenal. The fourth episode, like I I don't even want to say what the premise is, but it's like if you have any desire to laugh whatsoever, then you need to see the show. Um Nathan for you, his his prior show, I think, was my personal favorite, funniest show ever made. Uh the rehearsal is definitely right up that alley if you haven't seen uh or if, if you if you have seen Nathan for you. It's definitely worth checking out. And hey, if you're uh, getting an HBO Max uh, subscription for a bit to do that, then you should also check out Hard Knocks because uh, that's the NFL's like behind-the-scene footage of NFL free training cramp and all, all those sorts of interesting things. Um, always lots of drama, always like interesting. Uh, I look forward to it every year. And this year, for the first time, the team is the Fighting Dan Campbells, otherwise known as the Detroit Lions. And, you know, it's really interesting to look at. They have lots of really interesting characters on the team for once. And... Uh, you know, anyone who knew about the prior lines change and we, we complained, we complained about the, the prior lines regime so much um, before Dan Campbell, but uh, this, these guys are so much better in every way. And beyond that, more importantly, are incredibly entertaining. So yes, those, those are my two HBO Max recommendations, Hard Knocks with the Detroit Lions and Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. Let's go. Sounds great. Can't wait to check it out. I'll talk to you later. Yeah. Take care, everyone.